morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. This week we continue with our exploration of the book of Genesis, Bereshit in Hebrew, and the parasha that is being read in congregations throughout the world is entitled Vayera, usually translated as and he appeared. The parasha begins in Genesis 18 and continues through the chapter 22. It is a parasha that introduces us very intensively to Avram, now known as Avraham, and his relationship with God. And following my brief overview, I'm going to introduce our guest, which will, who will help us uh, have a greater depth of understanding of this covenantal relationship and its nuances. This week, God reveals himself to uh, Abraham three days after Abraham's circumcision at the age of 99. And in response to this circumcision, Abraham rushes off to prepare a meal for three guests who appear in the desert heat, one of the three who are angels, according to the Torah, announces that in exactly one year, uh, the barren Sarah will give birth to a son. In response to this uh, prediction, Sarah laughs, and uh, the story then shifts gears. Abraham uh, pleads with God to spare the wicked city of Sodom. Two of the three disguised angels arrive in the doomed city where Abraham's nephew Lot extends his hospitality to them and protects them from the evil intentions of the Sodomite mob. The two guests reveal that they have come to overturn the place and save Lot and his family. Lot's wife uh, turns into a pillar of salt when she disobeys the commandment from God not to look back at the burning city as they flee. Taking shelter in a cave, Lot's daughters, believing that they and their father are the only ones left alive in the world, get their father drunk, lie with them, and become pregnant. And of course, that resonates to us having read a similar episode in Parashat Noah. The two sons born from this incident uh, according to the Torah, father the nations of Moab and Amnam. Following this, we return to Abraham and he moves to Gerar, where the Philistine king Abimelech takes Sarah, who again, as earlier, is presented as Abraham's sister to his palace. In a dream, God warns Abimelech that he will die unless he returns the woman to her husband. Abraham explains that he feared he would be killed over the beautiful Sarah. God remembers his promise to Sarah and gives her and Abraham a son who is named Yitzhak, reminding us of Sarah's laugh when she hears of this prediction. Isaac is circumcised at the age of eight days. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah, 90, at the birth of the child. Hagar. Sarah's handmaiden and her son by Abraham, Ishmael, are then banished from Abraham's home 
uh, due to sibling jealousy and the jealousy between the two wives. And um, they wander in the desert. God hears the cry of Ishmael and saves his life by showing his mother a well. Abimelech makes a treaty with Abraham at Beersheba. And then finally, God tests Abraham's devotion by commanding him to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. The story is well known to many. Isaac is bound and placed on the altar. Abraham raises a knife to slaughter his son. And lo and behold, a voice from heaven calls out to stop him. A ram caught in the undergrowth by its horns is offered in Isaac's place. As you, the listeners, can tell, this is a parasha that we could spend not a half hour on, but four weeks on. With me this morning to unpack some of the more significant aspects of our parasha is Rabbi Brooks Sussman, the founding rabbi of Kol Am of Freehold, New Jersey. As of August 2015, Rabbi Sussman retired from the pulpit. Prior to that, he had served congregations in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, as well as St. Louis, Missouri. He is a well-known expert in some of the important issues of contribution, contraception and uh, abortion, served on the boards of Planned Parenthood in all the communities have served. Now, he presently serves as adjunct professor at Brookdale Community College, teaching classes on ethics, justice, history, as well as Bible. In conjunction with the college, he leads tours to places of interest in both the Northeast as well as Europe and Israel. He also lectures in the community with Dr. Christopher Belito in an interfaith dialogue on the three Abrahamic religions, historically, theologically, and contemporaneously. Together, they have been named by Brookdale College as the God Squad, noting their scholarly attitudes toward the critical questions of the 21st century. It is a pleasure to welcome back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Brooke Sussman. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Gee, I want to meet this Sussman guy. He sounds good. Well, uh, <laughs> that which we left out was probably the most interesting part. Um, Rabbi you and I have known each other for 55 years. Exactly. And that you uh, indicated here that you were a former marathon runner, a swimmer, and a boxer. And none of that makes any sense, given what I know about you. So uh, <laughs> I fought golden gloves as a kid. I loved oh. hitting. I didn't like being hit. So oh. only two years of fighting. <laughs> well... We'll leave that for another broadcast, the Jewish <laughs> ethics of hitting and being hit. Absolutely. But, you know, that, become, that becomes a perfect segue into this battle that Abraham and God have. Because a couple weeks ago, we read that Abraham was listening to this unknown, untested God to come to Mount Moriah and meet him there. and then. God and Abraham almost become buddies. They talk to each other. They have conversation. In fact, it's God who makes that, that hospital visit while Abraham lies there in uh, extremis after having a bit of his uh, private parts removed. Well, we will, well, let's be clear. His whole private parts aren't removed. 
parts parts of his parts. Right, parts, <laughs> parts of his of part. a private part. Uh, which 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 leads us even to even understanding Ishmael, that other son, is going to play a part in this as well. You know, you, as you mentioned, Abraham argues with his friend God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God says, I'm going to go 50. No, how about 40? How about 30? He schmeichels them. All of a sudden, they handle with each other until God says, okay, 10. If you can find 10 honorable people, I won't destroy the city. So you've kind of indicated um, a very special relationship between Abraham and uh, Elohim, Adonai, yes. the yes. God of the Old Testament. Um, can you just spend a bit more time about um, how special this is? What makes Abraham's relationship with God so unique, as opposed to that uh, with Isaac or Jacob, who will be the two other patriarchs? Because God said it was God who said to Abraham, Avram, at that first meeting. Look to the north, the south, the east, the west. All this land is yours as a perpetual covenant to you and all of the offspring that comes after you. So this becomes very meaningful in terms of what's going on in this contemporary world of the Middle East and who owns who and what belongs to whom. And so this covenant, this brit, this contract, if you will, is struck between Abraham and the God of Israel, Yod-Heh-Vod-Heh, Yahweh, Adonai, Adoshem, Jehovah, all the same word. And that circumcision is a sign of that perpetual covenant of not only land and progeny. And that's where it comes into. He is promised by God that it will be perpetually for him and all of those who come after him. So it becomes a momentous covenant. It becomes a contract of land to the children of Israel, who is going to become the, the, the new name of his grandson, Jacob. So since many of our listeners are not of the Jewish tradition, it appears that we should take a moment to just qualify and clarify this, that Abraham makes a decision to hitch his wagon as it were, to Adonai, Elohim, uh, yud Hey vav Hey Yahweh. Which by, the way, which, by the way, is names are descriptive. yud Hey vav Hey is the third masculine singular future tense of the to-be verb. So God's name is he will be or he will become. It's, it's the statement of perfection, unchangingness. And so his covenant becomes an unchanging covenant. That's really helpful. And Isaac and Jacob, in many ways, are simply the inheritors of this. Exactly. We, we don't really read of them ex individually accepting the covenant. It's as if they are born into it, genetically connected to the covenant, as opposed to other traditions in which the individual uh, confirms their relationship with God, uh, irrespective of what their parents had done. That covenant becomes individualistic until Mount Sinai, when it becomes a communal covenant, a communal contract. Those 10 statements 
become that covenantal relationship for Jews and Christians, all of whom follow that that covenant at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, and well, at Sinai, we have only the newly formed people of Israel and uh, the mixed multitude who left Egypt. Yes. Um, later on, thousands of years later, we'll have the uh, immersion of what today we call Christianity, um, who do accept um, that covenantal statement at Sinai as part of their uh, relationship to the uh, brotherhood of uh, Jew and Christian. I hold, uh, in my, I hold in my hand a book printed by the Society for Distributing the Holy Scriptures to the Jews out of London, and it's called The New Testament of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But in Hebrew, it's not a New Testament. It's known as Habrit HaKarasha, the New Covenant. And so it's Jesus becomes the, the exemplar of a New Covenant first struck between God and Abraham, and now for Christians, struck between God and Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. Good. So Abraham uh, has this relationship with, uh, we'll use the word deity, because there are so many names used <laughs> in the book of uh, Genesis. For, well, for, your, for, your audience, for your audience, let us just either Yahweh or Jehovah, so that Good. everyone is on the same page. Good. So we're going to use the word Yahweh. Um, and Abraham has this relationship, and we have a number of stories about this relationship. As I indicated, we have the story of the visiting angels, which somehow resonates with the three visitors upon the birth of Jesus, the number three, and they're disguised as angels disguised as people. And then we have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and as you said earlier, we have this bargaining between God and Abraham at the, um, uh, as to whether God should destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and here God and Abraham seem to have the most intimate relationship. Buddy to buddy, as you suggested, they're handling as if they were in a Middle Eastern market. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, why do we? So the question is, why do God and Abraham? Why does Yahweh and Abraham have to have such an intimate relationship, which won't exist with anybody else? Because neither of them is a known quantity. Abraham all of a sudden shows up, and this, this, this out-of-nowhere deity, one of the Elohim, because the word Elohim, which we now translate as God, is a plural noun. There are many gods. And so all this is this is a nachshle, a nobody, a nothing god, unproven, untested, and now he has finally one adherent. And so God owes a lot to Abraham, just as Abraham owes a lot to God. It becomes an equal greet, a covenant, a contract. One will protect the other, one will follow the other, which is why it becomes absolutely remarkable that all of a sudden we have in chapter 22 that God tests Abraham. At least that's what the text says. The question is, who is really being tested? 
because we have the story that Abraham is going to bind his son Isaac. And so we think of Isaac must be uh, three years old, allowing this this old father figure to bind him. No, this guy's 37 years old, and he's being bound up by an old coot over 100 years old. Why did he do it? Well, perhaps we have an answer, and the answer becomes Ishmael. Because Ishmael is going to show up. We know he's going to show up because when Abraham dies, it is Isaac and Ishmael who bury him together. So there had to be a relationship between brothers, even though dad threw out Ishmael and his wife Hagar. So let's just clarify that. Um, Sarah uh, is barren at the beginning of this episode. She gives her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham, a motif that appears over and over again in Genesis, for too often. often. Um, There's a progeny who's called Ishmael. Ishmael is banished uh, by God. Oh, also his name, his name Ishmael, uh, Ishmael, a man coming from ale, from God. From God. So he already begins life with a a relationship with that deity. Exactly. Daddy's deity. And by the way, it's daddy's deity. Right. It's Yahweh. So the relationship is definitely through Abraham, and he disappears. Um, God promises that he will have a nation of his own. And then we return to the Isaac story. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're suggesting that we need to have Isaac survive this strange uh, incident so that he can re-meet Ishmael. Well, it's a promise. God says to Abraham upon, upon the birth of Isaac, it's going to be through Isaac that the covenant will continue. So the fix is in. We already know that Isaac's going to make it and going to survive, surviving everything so that he can become the son who becomes the father, who becomes then the father of the 12 tribes. And we got all the way down through so the genealogy it, of Matthew. So is this test in chapter 22, which is part of our parasha, a, uh, what would we call it? The text, as you reminded us, says, the uh, Elohim Nisa et Abraham. Yes. He tested Abraham. So is this a facile uh, term that means that it's really, eh, how do we understand this? Is this I a test for God? Did I pick the right God? Everyone's being tested. Because once Abraham raises his knife to sacrifice his son, now it is Yahweh who sends him on this test. Just as he about to sacrifice his son, it's an Amalach Adonai. Amalach, a, an angel, a, a representative of Yahweh who says, stay your hand, I know now you trust me, it's all cool. Well, problem becomes these buddies, Yahweh, Jehovah, and Abraham never speak again. That relationship is absolutely cut off the moment that Abraham lifts the knife to sacrifice his son. And we have to ask who's being who's being tested and what did Abraham really hear? God says, make him an Ola. Now, that's in Hebrew, a burnt offering, but another pronunciation of those same letters is Allah for Aliyah. Make him an Aliyah. It's like for a bar mitzvah. He's coming up for the bar mitzvah so he can be proud and everyone can make a speech and throw candy. He can get a fountain pen. 
what did Abraham hear? And it's my contention that Abraham misheard God. Abraham failed the test. And the only reason I use as my proof text is God washes his hands of Abraham and Abraham never talks to his friend again. I want to be clear for our listeners um, what the rabbi has really uh, indicated here. Abraham and God, Yahweh, have this special relationship. Chapter 22, four chapters into our parasha, we read this unique um, episode. God tests Abraham. God gives Abraham direction. Take your son, your only son, your most beloved son to the mountain. Uh, but stop there for one second, because why does God say, make all, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love? No, we only have one side of the dialogue. God says, take your son. Abraham says, I got two sons, the one whom you love. Well, I love them both. Your only son. Both of them are only sons of their mothers. Abraham is testing God, forcing God to make the choice of Isaac, because easily God could say, ah, take Ishmael. He doesn't mean anything anyway. What an unusual interpretation and well done. So they go to the top of the mountain mm -hmm. and you correctly remind the readers who may or may not have read the episode in chapter 22 that once Abraham follows through on what he thinks is God's uh, commandment, directions, mm -hmm. that Abraham is interrupted by a malach an angel, a representative of God, and we do not see the buddies talk again. Film that we would call a bromance has ended. Yes, perfect, perfect expression. Yes. And, and so now we have this unbelievable moment of silence. God no longer speaks to Abraham. Isaac no, no longer speaks to uh, his father. Right. They have, they have no more contact in life. They have no more contact in life. The next parasha begins with Sarah's death. Mm -hmm. and, in and in fact, um, this entire episode seems to be transitional. Something significant has happened. Uh, what is it? What? has happened on the mountain that has changed everything. What becomes fascinating to me is why did this 37-year-old man allow this old coot to tie him up? And I think that it was a conversation between Isaac and Ishmael. And Ishmael says, I'm better than you. And Isaac says, no, I'm the chosen one. And Ishmael is going to say, no, because I was an adult when dad came and he cut off the tip of my penis. You were only eight years, eight days old. You had no choice. I'm better than you because I chose. And therefore, Isaac might have said to his father, I know you're following what you believe God said, so tie me tightly so that I won't destroy and make a dishonorable sacrifice. And it is Isaac who grows up. It is Isaac who's going to say, you know, Dad, I'm not with him anymore, but I know that God didn't want me to be killed. God wanted to bring me up to be shown off. It is now Isaac who then takes up that the, the, the covenantal relationship 
It is now Isaac who becomes the transitional character to become one of the three patriarchs. And that's why from, from this relationship between Isaac and Ishmael, we have the creation of the Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all stemming not necessarily from Daddy Abraham, but from the two sons who are the two brothers. In your description of this episode, it sounds like it's all staged. God stages it, Isaac stages it, and um well, you know, this this book wasn't this book, this book, the good book, quote unquote, it was written by Agatha Christie and Dashiell Hammett. It's a whodunit. It's a mystery story. We're given clues throughout the texts, the plural texts of the three holy books. And what we do, our responsibility is to find those clues, to find who done it, who's the winner, who's the loser, who comes out on top, and who really listens. And we we have Isaac actually being a listener. So is this Isaac in the dining room with the uh, candelabra, or Isaac yes. in the library yes. with the yes. candelabra? Yes. Yes, Colonel Mustard is left the building. <laughs> okay. Now, for those of you listening who might be lost, um, I, I, I there do, must be many of you. <laughs> I, I do want to remind you that um, while some read the Torah in a literal manner, uh, Rabbi Sussman's reverence, or some might think irreverence, is based on his sincere belief that the Torah is a human document. May I make it explicit? There's a difference between the Bible being revealed and the Bible being inspired. Ah. If it's a revealed text, it's revealed by a perfect revealer. And therefore, it cannot change because if it changes, then the revealer, God, changes. You can't have that because if God's perfect, God can't change. If, on the other hand, it's an inspired text, it's teaching us lessons. It's teaching us how to. And our task then is in every generation to unpack the lessons. And the lessons will be understood differently in different times and in different countries um, with different human capacities. By the, by the time this sentence ends, I will be a very different person from the person who began that sentence because I'll be having listened to you. And so I'm responding in a different way than I had been before we began our conversation. One last uh, question for you, and that is, Isaac doesn't speak to Abraham again after this episode. What are we to make of that? that the test was of Abraham and of Isaac. Abraham failed the test by mishearing what God said. And if we're going to be dealing with filicide, you stay away from someone who is seeking your demise. My guest this morning has been Rabbi Brooke Sussman, the founding rabbi of Congregation Kolam in Freehold, New Jersey, and uh, adjunct professor at Brookdale Community College. Um, I want to thank him for sharing with us his insights. You can hear a broadcast of our conversation on CHRI 99.1. 
or uh, FM or on the chri.ca website as a podcast, or you can download it at iTunes. I want to wish you shalom and have a good day and hope as always that you will find new meanings and new understandings in the sacred text of the Jewish people. This is Rabbi Stephen Garten saying shalom. Shalom.